The good news is that you don't need to sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover in one massive chunk. All you need to do is read it one bit at a time. G'day everyone, my name is Mark Schroeder and welcome to Schroeder's Bible Bits. I'm a college chaplain and my job is to teach children and youth the wonderful truths that are found in God's Word, the Bible. I speak at chapels, at youth services, at church services, I teach at kids clubs and lunchtime Bible groups. Uh, At all of these places, I always teach from the Bible because I'm convinced that from the Bible, we get to learn about God and how He has loved us and how He has saved us through Jesus. Tune in and continue to learn about Jesus for yourself, not in one chunk, but bit by bit. Hello and welcome back to another podcast. Uh, Here's another one for you on the book of Genesis from our senior school chapel. Uh, This is from Genesis chapter 3. And as it focuses in on this moment where Adam and Eve disobey God and they eat the fruit that God told them not to eat, we often focus in on the consequence of that disregard for God and the consequence of sin, which the Bible tells us is death. But nevertheless, there is still hope on the horizon because although God brings consequence, we see that God also brings grace and there's a wonderful promise that's just on the horizon and that of course is Jesus. Um, So I hope you enjoy this next one on Genesis chapter 3. All right, so welcome to chapel today. Uh, We're continuing through Genesis, right? Remember? Um, We've looked at a couple of really big ideas so far as we've been doing chapel with one another. Uh, And we've started at Genesis chapter 1 where we read the opening words. What are the opening words of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1? Can you say it? That's good. Stay together without a mumble and the words are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the first big idea that we got from that is in the beginning there was God. It wasn't nothing. There was God. God was there. Everything has come from him. And so here is this moment where we go, ah, we actually have hope in this world because we have God in this world. And then from there, we see that God is busy in creating the world. And so we looked on in Genesis chapter 1, and we see how God creates everything with such good intention and purpose. Do you remember? And so it was sort of like, here before us is this wonderful world and this wonderful creation laid out with us, which holds such great potential and opportunity for all of creation to live in God's very good world. And then last time, we zoomed in on this moment where God creates man and woman, where where we zoom in on the creative work of God in creating people. And we discover that people are created in God's image, made by God to rule and subdue God's world. And they have great freedom, do you remember? God said to them that they are free to eat from any tree in the garden, a tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But if they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what would happen? They would certainly die. So there we have it, people living in God's garden, with every freedom, freedom to live, but also freedom to die. There is great hope in this world for humanity to live in God's good world and to enjoy it for all of its very goodness. And so we're going to continue to look at Genesis now and come to this very popular, very famous scene in the Bible where Eve and Adam together make a really bad decision, don't they? And we're going to think about that and we're going to ask the question, where is the hope? Is the hope even there? And I want to say that yes, there is hope there and it's on the horizon. Hope is on the horizon. Hope is coming. So as we begin chapel today, as we begin and as we tune in, will you bow your heads with me as we pray? 
Uh, Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us today to have a good time in chapel, help us to think carefully about you and your word, particularly as we focus in on Genesis chapter 3. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. So the other day, I googled biggest news items of 2020. Full disclosure, I did this to see what were the good news items of 2020. We all know that 2020 was a hard year, right? We've heard that many, many times. There's so many guest speakers and principals and headmasters and teachers and church leaders and so on and so on that say just how bad 2020 was. But I actually looked at 2020 the other day, I googled it to go, what were the big news headlines that the media put in front of us to say, look at the hope in the world. Let's look at the good things in the world. But even though that's what I looked for, it's not what I found. Um, And I was a little bit surprised, actually. You you might not be surprised, but I was surprised. As I googled, I literally googled biggest news items in 2020. These are the things that came up. So this is from Channel 9 News, and it says, not just coronavirus, the things you forgot also happened in 2020. And I saw that, and I was like, great. Surely Channel 9 is going to focus in on some of the good things that happened. But no, it didn't. It said this down the very bottom on the left-hand corner of the page. It says, in a year, no Australian will ever forget, and not just because of the coronavirus pandemic. There were major news events across the world in 2020 and just as many closer to home. From the Black Summer bushfires, which killed 33 people, to a global Black Lives Matter movement and the most explosive US election in memory. It's a significant 12 months. There were tensions between the US and Iran, a Ukrainian passenger jet got shot down, Brexit and Mexit and a deadly blast that shattered an entire city. Australia's relationship with China also deteriorated and a trio of tragedies shocked a nation when Western Sydney family was torn apart by a drunk driver, four police officers were killed in a roadside patrol in Melbourne and mother Hannah Clark and her three children were murdered by a car fire, in a car fire by her abusive estranged husband in Brisbane. Here's how it all unfolded. I was surprised, right? I googled on purpose looking for the good news stories, thinking surely Channel 9 and Channel 7 and all the other news articles would be about, here are some good memories that we should have. But actually what they led with were the tragedies. And so here are these pictures up on the screen and they're probably self-evident after reading that, right? We've got the fires, people being evacuated here, here and here or looking at the mess that's left after the fire has passed through. Here's the mum and those two girls that were burnt in their car by their dad. Here is the crashed aeroplane. Here's Kobe Bryant who died last year. This gentleman down here waving, he's the first Australian to die from COVID last year. Here's the Black Lives Matter movement which came after this gentleman was killed by a police officer. Here's the bombing of Lebanon. Here's the police officers that were hit by a truck on the side of the road as they were doing their job. Here's there's no toilet paper on the shelves because of COVID. Here are these four children who were walking down a footpath on their way to get ice cream with a group of their friends and they were hit by a drunk driver who was doing 125 in a 50 zone. Crazy, hey? It's a bit of a downer way to start, right? But as we look at that, I can't help but ask this question. Where is the hope? Don't you think the same thing? Where is the hope? Even this week, you flick on the news, what do you see? Drama in state parliament. Drama in federal parliament. We see drama in Australia with families going through all kinds of difficulties. We see rain and rain and rain and floods. We see whole homes floating down the Nepean River down near Windsor. And we ask this question, where is the hope? Today, 
as we read Genesis chapter 3, I want to say that hope is there, that hope is on the horizon. So let's zoom in now, let's have a look. Let's read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 24, and consider where is the hope and how do we see it on the horizon in this story, which all too often feels like a downer. You ready? Here's what it says. Starting here with the moment about the crafty lies of the serpent. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It's an interesting start, isn't it? It's a bit crazy as well when you consider that here we've got this serpent and he's crafty and he starts to speak. This crafty creature who so it seems it looks like he has actually been possessed by the devil himself and we discover that later on in Revelation. We get this image that the great serpent from Genesis 3 here is actually the devil himself. And now the effect, the, the focus goes from God and his creative words to the words of the serpent who says to the woman, did God really say? You see, the woman here calls into question whose word? The woman calls into question, sorry, the serpent calls into question God's word, which is pretty surprising when we consider just how good God's word is. God's word is mighty and powerful and all accomplishing, full of grace and full of hope. And here is the serpent that calls God's word into question. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And it's interesting that he asks a question which is not right. He twists the words of God. Now, the woman, she goes on and she's like, well, no, that's not what God said. And she sort of elaborates a little bit. But then the serpent in verse 4 twists it even further and deceives her with a lie. You will not certainly die, says the serpent. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's horrible about that is that Eve forgets that she already is like God, isn't she? Remember, what did God do? God made her and Adam in the image of God, didn't he? And so she forgets the very good things of God, the very good way of God, and she believes the deception of the serpent. And so verse 6, here we have this moment which is portrayed in all kinds of comics and cartoons. I'm pretty sure there's an episode of The Simpsons even about this moment where Eve reaches out and takes fruit from a tree and she bites into it and eats it sometimes portrayed as an apple, but do you notice it just says the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, we don't know what sort of fruit it was, so don't go condemning the poor old apple, it could have been a mango for all we know, (laughs) but nevertheless the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and she takes some and she eats it and also Adam who was there, he takes some and he eats it. And so what we discover here is that sin arrives and trouble follows. This is a bad moment, this is not a moment of celebration. It's like everything that was awesome has come crashing down here in this moment. And so where sin arrives, we see trouble follows. And so the story continues. It says, Then both of their eyes were opened and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Do you remember earlier on, they were naked, but the Bible says that they felt no... Do you remember what the word was? They felt no shame. But what instantly comes into the garden? As soon as they eat the fruit and, they, and sin comes in, what comes? Shame. Sin and shame are just so closely connected. Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit and they realise straight away that they're naked and then they try and hide their problem by themselves. In the futility of their thinking, they think that they can handle their sin all by themselves, don't they? So what do they do? They made coverings for themselves. Then, in verse 8, in this moment that should be wonderful and cause for great celebration, they actually go and hide. Look what it says in verse 8. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This should be a good thing, shouldn't it? God is here. Let's go walk with God in the garden. How cool is this? It's a beautiful day. Let's go enjoy this world. But no. They go and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And the Lord God calls to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, this is a serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you see that everything is turned upside down here? There's this terrible blame game that happens. Sin comes in. There is shame straight away. They hide from God. They're afraid from God. And then they start to blame one another based on all the things that have happened. It's not my fault. It's her fault. It's not my fault. It's his fault. And so then God calls them to account and God then brings justice according to his word. Do you remember God said, if you eat from the tree, you will certainly what? You'll certainly die. So what is the curse? What is the punishment? Well, here it is here. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. See, here's God's word again now, not the serpent's word. He says, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman. That means there'll be hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Do you see how everything that is good is now turned upside down? It's not good here anymore, is it? Work was meant to be a blessing from God. Remember, God put Adam in the garden to work and to care for it, to keep it, to rule over it. But that very blessing from God has been challenged here. The ground is now cursed. Work is now going to be hard and sweaty, not enjoyable. Adam's calling here, Adam's purpose, Adam's creative position has been changed completely because of sin. Sin has ruined it all. And then if you go back to Eve, look, the point of difference for Eve, that's been changed too, hasn't it? Eve too, she was to work and to care alongside Adam. Together, both made in the image of God, but also Eve had a different job, didn't she? She would bear children, Adam couldn't do that. But even that wonderful difference, that wonderful opportunity that Eve could do that Adam couldn't do, even that has been ruined now because now it's going to be painful and hard. 
something here as well for you to notice. It says here, your desire will be for your husband. That word desire actually means you will want to kill your husband. It's not a heartthrob desire. Oh, she really loves him. It's not that sort of desire. This is a different kind of desire. This is the same desire that Cain has for his brother Abel just before he kills him. See, everything is broken. Their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, their relationship with creation, even their jobs in creation are broken and ruined. Where sin comes, trouble follows. Do you see? What a downer, isn't it? Where is the hope? Well, I want to say it's on the horizon. So let's see, where is it? Verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Where's the hope? Well, actually, it's here. We see it here. It's on the horizon. What does Adam name his wife? Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. Now, we can say, well, maybe that is because she is the first mum. From her comes all the offspring, so to speak. But actually, who is the one offspring that brings life to everybody? Jesus is, isn't he? So actually, in fact, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living and actually we are all made alive in Jesus. Very fitting name, isn't it? See, Eve is the mother of the living and when we see that, we should remember Jesus. You see, Jesus, although he's not right there in the garden, Jesus is definitely on the horizon, isn't he? Earlier on as well, I wonder if you noticed that God made a sacrifice to cover the shame of humans. Did you see that in that passage? Do you remember humans, when they sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to make coverings out of gigantic leaves, out of fig leaves, to cover all the embarrassing bits. But then God comes along, and even in light of their sin, God steps in and He does something to cover their shame. But how does He cover their shame? He covers their shame by making a sacrifice, doesn't He? Here's the first moment of death in the world. An animal dies so that by its skin, he would cover up the shame of humans and their sinfulness. Now, when we see God making a sacrifice to cover their shame like that, who do we think of? We think of Jesus. You see, Jesus is on the horizon. Although he's not right there in the garden, he's definitely there on the horizon, isn't he? And then the other one is here. Eve's offspring is said to rise up and crush the serpent's head. All at the same time, though, the serpent will also pierce the heel of the, ser- of, of the crusher. Who came and crushed sin once and for all? Who came and was pierced so that sin would be destroyed? Jesus. Jesus is the serpent crusher. Jesus is the sin smasher. Jesus is the one that is promised here way back in Genesis chapter 3 as the one who will come and solve this problem of sin. Year 9, where is the hope? Well, the hope is in Jesus. The hope is on the horizon and we see it here in Genesis chapter 3. Although the story is a downer and we get frustrated by it, don't we? If I was Adam and Eve, I would never have eaten the fruit we might even find ourselves saying. 
But actually the reality is we do that all the time, don't we? We disregard God's Word all the time. Even though life is on offer, all too often we choose death. But don't choose death today because hope is on the horizon. Jesus has come. And in fact, what do we discover from John 14.6? John 14.6 says that Jesus said He is the way, the truth and the life. What I love about that is that that's everything opposite to what we see in Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? Do you remember at the end of Genesis chapter 3, the way to the tree of life is cut off, isn't it? They can't eat it anymore. But now with Jesus, the way to the tree of life is open. In Genesis chapter 3, we see truth has been um, challenged by the serpent. The serpent deceives Eve, but Jesus comes along and he establishes truth. And then we see life in Genesis chapter 3, taken away because of sin. But then Jesus comes along and he brings life. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He changes everything bad from Genesis 3 to everything good. And because of that, hope is on the horizon today for us. Hope is on the horizon today for you. If you trust in Jesus, who is the way, the truth and the life, who is the only way to the Father. You know, in a world full of disaster, in a world full of frustration, in a world full of floods and virus and pandemic and broken relationships and pain and toil, I want to say to you that there is still hope. Jesus is coming. And so I want to say, in light of that, today take heart. Even though things might be tricky, remember that this is not everything. This is not all. There's something better coming one day, isn't there? But as I've said to you before, if Jesus loves you and me so much to send his son for us, then he loves us enough today to care for us in those dodgy moments that we experience from time to time. And so we can trust him in those moments. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We can trust him in this day, but we can trust him for all eternity because it's through him that we have access to God the Father again. There is hope on the horizon. What's his name? Jesus. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can get in contact with me via Twitter at mrkschroeder Or on the Anchor app, you can actually leave a voice message. I'd love you to do that and I might include it in the next podcast. Catch you later.